Amen. Take your Bibles and open up to Judges chapter 14. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. The book of Judges, you guys know, is a period of time where the children of Israel are in the promised land. They finally got there. Joshua led them, Moses delivered them, and now they have a series of 12 judges fighting for them. And it starts with Oh, it starts with Shamgar, and it starts with Ehud, and it starts with Othniel, and it goes into Gideon, and it goes into Barak, and Deborah, and Jair, and Tola, and Jephthah, and Isban, and Abdon, and all these guys. And now we're studying the sad life, listen, of Samson. Samson, Sammy boy. Samson's name means like the sun. He was a promised child to his barren mom, who's nameless, and to his dad, and we know that God had a plan to, listen, begin to deliver Israel through Samson. And I just want to set the stage. Oftentimes we go to the Bible to be inspired and encouraged and find out what to do. There's a lot of to-dos in the Bible. Most of Samson's story is what not to do. You could actually title this, How Not to Destroy Your Life, you know, studying Samson. And so it's kind of difficult to get through this passage of Scripture without just looking at the negative things. We're going to do our best to do that. And let me start with a positive thing. We learned this last week, that when Sammy Boy was born, the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him and God anointed him and filled him and blessed him. Do you know this? This is how God acts to all of his kids, all his sons and daughters. He wants to bless you and he wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit right now. You might've gotten out of balance and out of bounds and out of control. And God says, hey, today's the day of salvation. When one sinner repents, all of heaven rejoices. Maybe today is your day to say, oh, Lord, would you once again, two things, bless me and fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I promise you, by God's grace and mercy, he will abundantly, more than you could ask or think, pour his Holy Spirit upon you if you ask of it. So don't harden your heart to the Lord in these last days, but instead let's soften our hearts. This is what the Lord wants to do. Let's read verses one through three. This is what we studied two weeks ago. It says, now Samson went down to Timnah and he saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Verse one tells us his whole life story. He's always going down and seeing things he shouldn't see. In the course of his life, he's gonna make bad decisions going places he shouldn't go. He shouldn't go to Timnah. That's modern day, uh, the Gaza Strip right now where all the turbulence is happening right now. It's Philistine country. And he goes there and he sees a gal, a Philistine gal. He shouldn't have been doing this. It gets worse. And so he went up and he told his mom and dad, saying, I've seen a woman in Timnah, which is so funny to me. His very first words, his very first quote, I saw a man. It's like Samson, man, bro, figure it out, dog. You know, I thought, well, man. And he says, of the daughters of the Philistines, now therefore get her for me as a wife. Ah, verse three. Then his father and mother said to him, isn't there a woman among the daughters of your brethren or among my people that you must go and get from, from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she pleases me well. Man, he would not submit, listen, to the authority that God had put in his life. You see, Samson wasn't his own self-made man. God had given him systems of accountability, systems of leadership above him, namely his parents, his mom and dad, and also God and his friends. We learned this two weeks ago, that Samson was a judge. He was in charge. He had authority. Listen, you all have measures of authority right now. If you're a licensed driver, there's some authority, but you have government and accountability above you. If you're a homeowner, if you have money or paychecks, or if you're a citizen of this country, you have great authority, but you also have accountability there to keep you and others safe. And when you realize this as a man or woman, accountability is not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing because it's gonna hold you accountable. 
And we learned that he had this authority, but he wasn't willing to submit to the accountability above him. And the question I want to ask you again this morning, as I asked last time we were together, is what systems of accountability has God put over you that are for your safety, that are for your longevity, that are to keep you on the path and not going into one ditch left or right? Don't reject those. Don't push back on those. As a matter of fact, those systems of accountability, maybe when you join a gym, you get an accountability partner because you know if you don't have an accountability partner, you ain't going to the gym. It's not going to happen. And so instead you say, would you hold me accountable? I want to accomplish these goals. Maybe it's an accountability partner online. Maybe your phone, like mine, is locked down and there's, there's things there filtering what I look at and sending it to my accountability partner so I can stay accountable to people because I've set those systems up so I don't find myself being picked off by the enemy. And you might say, well, you have a problem, Pastor Luke? Listen, any one of us on the wrong day in the wrong time in the wrong place with the wrong person can do anything. And we need to make those protections for ourselves lest we get out of bounds. Maybe not today or this week, but how about a month from now or a year from now? You don't know what's coming. Don't be so arrogant in your life where you don't set up systems of accountability and say, yes, I want to succeed. Far too greater men and women than me or you have not done this and found themselves, listen, not achieving or becoming the people that God intended them to be. I asked three soul-searching questions last week. I'll rip through them again quickly. Number one, do you guys have unlocked potential in your life right now? Is there anything going on that God put in you, but it's just not happening? That's a good question for you and you alone to answer. Number two, is God blessing you and, and giving you things right now by his grace in spite of you, like he did to Sammy boy? And number three, this question's worth considering. Does God want you to go all in for him right now? Make some adjustments. This is the time to do so. This is the time to look at Samson's life and say, I don't want to go down. I don't want to be involved in things I shouldn't be involved in. If you don't know his story, before he was even conceived, the angel of the Lord, Jesus, told his mom, who was married to Manoah, said, when you have this boy, make sure he doesn't touch anything unclean. Make sure he never cuts his hair. Dedicate him to the Lord as a Nazarite. And make sure that you, mom, and he don't eat any raisins or wine or any fermented things. Stay away from those intoxicants because your life is to be laser focused. And now we're going to see Samson, one after another, violate these directives that the Lord had put upon his life. Man, such a painful story, but I'll tell you what, he did make, does make, has made the hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 12, 11 lists the men and women of the Old Testament that God says they're in the hall of faith. They lived by faith. An imperfect life for sure. That's good news for me. Hopefully it's good news for you. I want to be considered a man of faith. Do you want to be considered a person of faith? I hope so. How many of you guys want to be considered a person of faith, but you have an imperfect life? Raise both hands. I had your head spinner, you know. Ah, by God's grace and by his mercy alone. And I believe we can learn a lot from Samson. It was the spirit of God. Sometimes people think Samson was ripped and, you know, always doing push-ups and could do pull-ups all day, and, you know, on creatine and had a protein, you know, secret sauce. I think he was a very normal person. I don't think he was anything to look at. You wouldn't know he was him. As a matter of fact, they were trying to figure out his secret towards the end of his life. They didn't know what it was. It wasn't his muscles. It was the spirit of the Lord. This is huge. It was the spirit of the Lord. You know what you need? You know what I need right now more than anything else? We need a move of the spirit of the Lord. In our lives personally, in your addiction, in your problems right now, your challenges, you don't just need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and work harder. It's not gonna work. What you need is a move of the spirit of the Lord. What our town needs, I believe, I believe God is doing this. I 
actually know he's doing it in my life right now, and it is so legit. Let's make room for the Spirit to do more things in our lives. Well, he blew it here, and there's three principles I tried to teach last week, but you guys weren't listening fast enough, so I couldn't get through them, and I feel we might be doing that again this week. But uh, the first one, if you're a note taker, write that down, is he did have authority, but he did not have nor respect the accountability that God had put in him. Now, this is going to get him in trouble. It's going to get him off. It's going to get him in the ditch. It's going to get him where he doesn't want to be. But we need to also know that no matter what we do, God is always working and he's always wanting to partner with us. Sometimes we miss those opportunities, don't we? Sometimes we're just not ready. How many of you guys have ever missed an opportunity to partner with the Lord? You just weren't ready. Maybe you weren't willing. Maybe you weren't aware. So many reasons why you and I miss opportunities to partner with the Lord, but God always will position us forward. And here's the good news. You can write this down. God will always outweigh you. God will always outgrace you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will chase you down. And you might waste a year or a decade or more. And God will be right there at your door saying, you ready yet? You ready yet? I ran from the Lord for 12 years, 12 years, and I ran pretty good up pretty fast. If you know what I mean. And when I stopped running, the Lord was right there in my face. He said, are you ready to go? I've been chasing you. I've been walking with you. And I'm ready to take you now where I designed you to go. Walk with me because he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He's going to provide for you and he's also going to guide you. But if you don't honor that authority, you're going to get in trouble. Now, here's the thing. We've all been in trouble before. Uh, nobody likes to be in trouble. Raise your hand if you've been in trouble before. Raise your hand. Okay, raise your hand if you're in trouble right now. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. We're all in trouble a little bit. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 that if you're in trouble, it's a good thing. It means you're a child of God. It means that God is disciplining you and he's making you more like him. And the fruit of what you're working through right now is going to be peaceable righteousness. You're going to be closer to him and more like him. There's trouble being stirred up, being identified in your life right now. Don't resist that correction. It's not fun. It's not easy, but embrace it. Be vulnerable. Find some people around you that you might even be able to pour into your life and say, what do you see? What's it like being on the other side of me? What's that like being married to me? What's it like working with me? What's it like being my friend? But I want to know. And that little, it might hurt. It might be surprising. But as you walk those roads, the Lord will do in you a new work. I promise you, because this is who our father is. Just as you have kids, you're going to love them and bless them. As a matter of fact, look at verse four, and we're going to cruise through now. It says, but he wants to go down, get this gal. He's arguing with his mom and dad, get her for me. She pleases me. But verse four, his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord that he, capital H, was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Stop right there. I appear. This is a crazy verse. Verse four is a crazy verse. Samson's an idiot. Okay, write that in your notes. Samson's an idiot. You know, you know, right. You just memorize it. We know that. And what's God doing? God's like, yeah, that's my idiot kid. You know, I'm going to use them though. Check this out. And what verse four says is that Samson's making all kinds of mistakes and God's allowing those mistakes to be made in order to get Samson deeper into Philistine country in order that Samson can then take the Philistines down one person at a time. God is actually redeeming evil and causing good to come from that. Okay, we're going to call this the sovereignty of God principle. That no matter what we do or don't do, no matter what you do or I do, God will be sovereign and do what only God can do. This is a mystery, but it's a great confidence. Now, there is some 
ditches on either side of the sovereignty of God. So we're going to get in the weeds real quick. I don't want you to get all messed up. So put your boots on, put your helmet on, okay? In the sovereignty of God, you could accidentally say, well, if God's going to do what only in whatever God wants to do, well, then it doesn't really matter what I do. Why would I correct? Why would I participate? Why would I adjust? Why don't I just sin even more if God indeed can redeem and do whatever he wants to do? That's a ditch of excess where we say God's sovereign doesn't matter what I do. The ditch of neglect over here says God is sovereign, but I'm not quite sure if he's sovereign. So I need to make sure that I'm squeaky clean. I do every single thing. Otherwise God can't use me at all. That's a different ditch. The reality is no matter what we do or don't do, this is crazy. God is able to do what he has set out to do and will accomplish in our lives. Now, this is a great principle, but there are additional principles that we learn from verse four because we don't want to get in trouble. As a matter of fact, Paul said it this way. Let me just back up. Let me just write these three principles down out of verse four. Okay, even if evil seems to be advancing, God is still redeeming. You need to know this and believe this. Even as the days get darker, even as your spouse does this, even as they're doing that, even as the lights are flickering, even as things are happening, God is still redeeming and moving the ball forward. Only God can do that. Someone say amen. amen. This is crazy. God does this. Listen, if you're in this kind of environment right now where it's like, this is evil, they're evil. Maybe I've committed evil. What's going on? God's doing two things that he did in Joseph's life when Joseph experienced nothing but evil from his brothers. And what was God doing the whole time? Two things. Number one, he was positioning Joseph closer to the redemption. Every time Joseph would go through something bad, something unfortunate, something silly, Joseph would be moved closer to Egypt, closer to Egypt, closer to Pharaoh, until finally Joseph knew Pharaoh face to face and he became the prime minister of Egypt. The only way it could have happened is through all of the evil that Joseph lived through. Not only was he being positioned, moved around, but Joseph was also being prepared. The things that Joseph was going through, he didn't know it, was preparing him to be the wisest guy in Pharaoh's court at that time. I don't know what you're going through right now. It might be somebody else's problem, somebody else splashing water on you, something else has tipped over, somebody else has offended you. Maybe you've been given a bad diagnosis of health. Lord, this is evil. This is bad. And the Lord says, I, I know. Do you think I'm sovereign over it? Well, I hope you are. Do you think I could position you in places where only you could be positioned through this hardship? I hope so. Do you think I can actually prepare you in ways that you would never be prepared unless it was this difficult for you? Now, this is not a justification for evil or sin or for difficulty. Don't cause evil. As a matter of fact, principle number two is this. Just because God can redeem evil situations doesn't mean we should abuse grace or be careless, right? God can redeem anything. Let's go. <laughs> Have you guys ever done this before? We think this sometimes. The apostle Paul actually said that in the book of Romans. He said, hey, when sin abounds, grace abounds more. Isn't that crazy? When evil and bad things happen, which do, Paul declared more grace will be given to you. Oh, that's good news. And so he asks the rhetorical question. He says, well, if more sin produces more grace, should we just go on sinning more and more and more? And then he says, no, dumb, dumb. That's dumb. Don't think that's not what grace is for. That's an abuse of grace. But when there's evil, when there's difficulty, Sometimes we wonder, where's God at? And here in verse four, it says, hey, Samson's doing stupid stuff. He's rejecting God's will. He's rejecting his parents' will. Verse four says, but God was using it. God was doing stuff. This gives me, in the mystery of God, this gives me such hope. Because I'm just, I'm just a knucklehead. I don't know if you sit next to a knucklehead. I'm a knucklehead. I don't, I don't know all the mysteries of God. I can see when things are out of order, when things are out of balance. It's not okay. The third principle is this. Even though God can cause evil to work together for good, listen, it'll still cost you and it possibly could kill you. So be very careful. 
Remember King Haman, remember Haman in, in the book of Esther? He was evil, doing evil things. And God was allowing that. He was actually allowing all that to happen, to use Esther and Mordecai to preserve the name of the Jews. He was using this evil decree and all the rest. And in the end, it killed poor Hammy boy. It killed Haman. And I just want to put that warning out there, both of one of repentance and correction. You don't want to get hammered. You don't want to get in trouble. But if there is evil going on, just wait for the end of the story. Don't give up. Do the next right thing. See what the Lord wants to do here. We're going to see Samson make a series of bad decisions. Let's see what happens next. It says in verse 5, it says, So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and his mother. Eh, bad. And then they came to a vineyard of the Timnus, of, of Timnah. And it says, Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. What in the world? Guys, catch the scene. He's going down to get a girl he shouldn't be pursuing. That's strike number one. And in order to get there, he goes through a vineyard, a little shortcut. He had been specifically told, stay away from vineyards, stay away from grapes or intoxicating things. And here's the simple principle. Uncorrected compromise always leads to more compromise. Every time we don't correct or repent our compromising situation, it's only a matter of time till we find ourselves going from one dumb thing to the next dumb thing. Some would say, amen. This is what happens. You must correct your compromise or you're going to find greater compromises happening. We've all experienced this. We've all done this. I'm never going over there. One step, two step, three step, 19 steps later, like, how'd I get here? And I own property. You know, what the heck? This happened. This happens to all of us. Here's the funny part to me. He's walking through this vineyard. He's separated from his mom and dad at this point. We know he's gone ahead or whatever the case may be. Maybe they wouldn't go through that. Maybe they had more integrity. But all of a sudden, a young lion comes out of nowhere to rip him apart. And it says it surprises him. Now, when I read this, I'm not surprised at all. You guys know, Bible students, that lions in this fashion speak of the enemy who prowls around seeking us to devour us. Here he is from one compromise to the next compromise. He wants this girl, shouldn't be doing that. His parents say, don't do it. He rebels against them. Now he's in the vineyard and all of a sudden he's getting attacked and he's surprised about it. When I see my friends doing silly things and getting silly prizes, I'm not very surprised. Are you surprised? And sometimes in my own life, though, I'll be doing silly things and about to get silly prizes, and we're shocked. I can't believe this is happening to me. Like, where's this attack coming from? <laughs> and the Lord says, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Don't be deceived. You reap what you sow. It's just, a, it's a principle. You can't sow to the flesh and then pray for a crop failure. It doesn't work that way. When you sow to the flesh, it will produce a harvest of death and corruption and whirlwind and sadness and sinfulness and all these things. And here we see he's walking around, hoping it's gonna be a good shortcut through an area where he's forbidden to go to, to go get a girl he's forbidden to hang out with and his parents where he's forbidden their counsel and he gets attacked. But notice verse six, it says, the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily and he grabbed that lion and tore it apart as if it was a young goat. Some of your Bibles say young kid, that means a goat, just in case you wanna know. He tears it apart like a young kid. And he didn't even have anything in his hand. Is it? I just want to once again say thank you, Jesus, for your grace and mercy in our lives of compromise and mistakes where we find ourselves getting attacked. If you and I were writing the story, maybe we would have killed Samson right here. Kill him, kill him, you know. Let the lion kill him. But instead, when the lion, which he deserved to be clawed to death, came upon him, God says, I'm not done with you yet. 
I'm not done with you. My grace and mercy are sufficient for your needs. Have you blown it? Have you compromised? Has one uncorrected compromise led to another? And now you're addicted to something. Now you're in a relationship you shouldn't be in. Now you've done things you wish you would have done. You can't go back. There's no time machines. What do I do now? Lord, I feel like I'm being attacked. Would you deliver me? And the spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily and he'll deliver you by his grace and mercy. This is the good news of the Lord today. This is what he wants from you. But I do want to underscore the second principle of Samson's demise and his continual failure. Not only did he have authority, which we all want, we all have no accountability, but he also had power and no purity. He didn't value the strength that comes from purity. God had given him power. He was a powerful man. He was a he man with a she weakness. And he didn't take God's power to overcome his problems and his temptations. All of us have some measure of power that goes along with our authority. And if we don't value purity in our lives and our eyes and our ears and our minds and with our hands and with our feet, if we don't value moving forward purity, your power, listen, will become ultimately eventually powerless. We've seen this. We're going to see it kill Samson eventually. His lack of purity coupled with his great power will ultimately take his life from him. This is exactly what sin does to you. This is exactly what sin does to me. It takes us down. It takes strong men, the Bible says, and makes them into crusts. And I love how he's surprised. I'm not surprised. Isn't it crazy how our sin confuses us? We don't see things the way that everyone else sees it. Some people might see you in your life and they see things differently. Like, what are you, what are you doing? What are you talking about? Why are you, why are you going through the vineyard? Why are you doing these things? Aren't you exactly forbidden to do these things? This is why we desperately need accountability partners that we love, that we trust, that are humble enough to come wash our feet when we've walked off course and gone in the mud. He shouldn't have been doing these things. He wasn't correcting his compromise and he was about to pay the ultimate price. And I just want us to settle into that. I'm studying through this in my own life right now. Like I get to take a deep dive. I get to read commentators and, and read um, commentaries. Commentators, sounds like a, like a, you know, a, a meal, you know, I'll take the commentators, you know, and anyways, and I'm, I'm studying this out and God's asking Luke for shit, 45 years old. He's like, Luke, well, how do you want to go? How do you want your life to end? How do you want your adjustments to be? Are you surprised right now at anything in your life, Luke? Are you taking this seriously? And the power that I've given to you, the authority I've given to you, where's your accountability? Where's your thirst and hunger for righteousness? And as we develop and as we grow and say, yes, Lord, I want to take these things seriously in my life. And here's the problem. We all love a little bit of power. We love the freedom that comes our way. But without a hunger for purity, we're going to just make mistakes. We're going to run all over the place. Remember, remember Justin Bieber a couple of years ago when he was kind of losing his mind? Remember that? He had all this power and all this fame. He's a young man. He's just running. He's getting arrested and all these crazy things. Because he had no hunger and thirst for purity and God's changed his life since then and he's beginning to be a different man and maybe the Lord would have us to take this seriously as well. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna quote to you out of chapter 16, which based on our pace right now, we're gonna get to next year sometime. <laughs> the scariest verse in all of Judges in Samson's life is in chapter 16, verse 20. It says, and Samson awoke from his sleep and he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. He spent a whole life of compromise and rebellion and God kept gracing him. More power, rip the lion apart, rip the ropes apart, rip the gate up, take a jawbone of a donkey and kill a bunch of people. Just crazy stuff. Samson had three pivotal problems. He had authority, but no accountability. He had power, but he was not hungry for purity. And ultimately, his purity 
and lack of purity led to a lack of power in his life. Let me just read to you a verse out of the book of Proverbs as, as, as it pertains to purity and how important it is. It says, now therefore listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways, speaking of impure things. Do not stray into her paths, for she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men, for her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. This is sin in its darkest form, and it takes out men, and it takes out women, and it takes out people. And God's grace is here right now. Maybe you're being attacked by a lion. Maybe things are out of control in your life. And you, Lord, help me. And the Lord will give you grace and mercy. And, and while we have the time today, I want to just put one more thing out there from Samson's life. We're evidently not going to finish the chapter like I had intended to. The third thing that Samson didn't have in his life, the thing that he worked on and God gave to him, but he was not able to fulfill, is he was dedicated, but he was not devoted. Samson was a judge. He was a warrior. He would kill Philistines, bad guys, his whole life. He did keep his hair long until he didn't. He was dedicated. He showed up early. He stayed late. He, yes, he said yes to everything. But listen, we see in the study of Samson's life, you know what Samson didn't have? Any devotion to God. Only twice does he ever pray. Twice. One time after he kills a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey and he yells at God and he prays and he says, I need a Gatorade. I'm Thursday. Ah, it's like a baby prayer. I'm Thursday. That's his only prayer. Until the day he dies. Chapter 16. When he finally prays, the first devoted prayer we have, Lord, take my life. Use me this one time. And the Lord takes his life and uses him. And our devotional prayers begin with that. Right now, Lord, take my life. Right now. Use me right now. Forgive me for my sins. Use me. Lord, I don't want to have it my way. I want to learn from Sammy boy. He had dedication, but no devotion. And can I encourage you, encourage me. The biggest thing, the most important thing, maybe the only thing that matters about you right now moving forward in Jesus Christ is your devotion to him, not your dedication. Maybe you are dedicated. Maybe you're religious. Maybe you would never do certain things and you would always do these things. But the Lord might say to you, as he warned us, one day he's gonna be faced with a bunch of religious people. And he's gonna say, I don't know you. We did miracles in your name. We led churches in your name. We led organizations. I was on a board in your name. And the Lord says, why? <clears throat> Sorry, I don't know you. Well, I don't know you. I have a friend who fell in ministry many years ago. He had compromises in his life and lost everything. And through God's grace, after many, many years, he was restored to his family. He was restored to ministry, believe it or not. And he was meeting with another ministry partner, a friend of mine, and he said to this other friend, he said, hey, I, I don't want to make this mistake ever again. And I respect you and I trust you. What, what advice would you give to me as I get back on the horse and keep riding? And this pastor-to-pastor -pastor conversation went this way. It's your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If that goes away, everything else will go away. If that is preserved and intact, nothing will take you down. And you might not have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ right now. You might be dedicated. And the Lord says, ooh, that's awesome. Great starting point. But I need you to be devoted to me. This may actually sound mysterious as it comes out of my mouth. Like, what, what, what does that mean? My, my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But I believe right now for such a time as this, if God, if you, if we are going to move forward 
and let God do in us what he wants to do through us. I'm gonna have Pastor Toby come up and lead us in a song right now. If God is gonna do in us what God wants to do through us, it's going to begin and stem from and grow out of our personal relationship with Jesus Christ, period. Not a religious movement, not anything else. It's between you and him. It's between the Holy Spirit living inside of you and he's gonna guide you and he's gonna direct you and he's gonna change you and he's gonna heal you and he's gonna impact you. And as we make room for Jesus, as you simply cry out to him, as a matter of fact, we're gonna do something very simple. I'm gonna have you guys close your eyes. We're gonna say this prayer now together because I don't want anyone to miss this. I don't want anyone to be overly confused or complicated in this because it is so simple. As in any relationship that has value and strength and purpose, that relationship has afforded to it time. It has devotion. It has conversation. It has value and meaning. If I tried to take you out to dinner, I said, hey, I really want to get to know you and I want you, I want you to get to know me and, and let's go ahead and have dinner together. And let's say we showed up to dinner and I brought my computer and I brought my phone and I brought a book and, and I brought my, my weights and I just sat there while we were eating and I was doing all these silly things in front of you. You would be very confused. You would feel maybe he doesn't want to get to know me. Maybe he doesn't have time for me. Felt like he did, but just, he's very distracted. Feels like he's not into me. I want to make this very simple, but also very clear. Also very profound for you, very powerful. That if you're not seeking first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, if you're not getting up just a little bit earlier and reading your Bible, if you're not spending time in prayer with your, your accountability partner, or your spouse, or your kids, if you're not doing that, if you're not confessing your sins regularly to somebody, if you're not dealing with those things, if you're not singing, you're not praying, you're not, if you're not doing these things, God just looks at you and he says, hey, hey, do the first things. I miss you. Come back to me. You've left your first love. You need to be devoted to me, not just dedicated. So if you're here this morning and you want to take this seriously, you do not want your life to go from one compromise, uncorrected, to a greater compromise. You don't want that. You don't want your life to be caught off guard and surprised. Whoa, where'd this lion come from? What's happening in my life? I didn't see this coming. You don't want to be that person. So if you're here this morning and just make it so simple, you say, Lord, I want to be more devoted to you. I don't know how that looks. I don't know what to do, but I desperately want it. Would you just right now, all eyes are closed. Would you raise up your hand if that's you? You say, yeah, I want to be more devoted to you, Jesus Christ. I want to be more available to you, Jesus Christ. I want to be more into you, Jesus Christ. Keep your hand up, would you? At this time, Lord, would you fill by your Holy Spirit's power right now, Lord, the men and women who have their hands up in Jesus' name that are confessing, say, yeah, I don't want to make these mistakes. I want to in the year 2023 and into 2024. I want to make more room for you, Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me, Lord, of being distracted and clouded, Lord, and compromised and silly and vain and carnal in Jesus' name. And have your mercy upon me. Keep your hands up. Holy Spirit, would you just right now pour yourself out? I believe in you. You who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. You're stirring us up right now. Your church, Lord, and we love you, Jesus. We love you for loving us first. Thank you, God. You can put your hands down. Would you all stand with me? We're gonna sing a song right now. I'm gonna go underneath the screen. Maybe I'll have Pastor Rory come up as well. Stand right here by the communion table. If you need prayer, would you just come up and get prayed for right now? Maybe Pastor Toby stand over here on my left and any other prayer warriors. And if you need prayer or need to just come to the Lord right now, you sense that the Lord says, come to the altar, lay down your sins, lay down your compromise. Would you just crowd the stage right now? Everybody and anybody who needs a touch from 
the Lord, come to the altar right now. I'll be over on this side praying for people. Let's worship together and respond as the Lord would have us.